This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from chapter 22. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened calves. They've been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. Those servants went out into the roads, and they gathered all who they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and he looked at the guests, he saw there was a man with no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him in hand, hand and foot and cast him out into darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. May you open your word to us this morning in only a way you can. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So... What makes for a good party? Now, this is a rhetorical question. I know better than to ask a crowd like this, a question like that. What makes for a good party? What makes for a good celebration? What makes for a good banquet? What makes for a good feast? The ESV today talks about it being a good feast. Most of our translations talk about it being a good banquet. What makes for a good feast, a good banquet? I used to have to ask this question in my former life. Banquets were a part of what I had to do. That was a part of my world. I would throw them and then I would ask you for money. You all know that drill. As a matter of fact, it is banquet season. My brother just threw a pretty killer one. Well done, Nashville Young Life. So what makes for a good party? What makes for a good banquet? After the first couple I threw, I started asking this question. Look, there is a tried and true method on this. You guys know what I'm talking about. Dry chicken and green beans. You guys know what I'm talking about. Long nights and round tables. Some of you guys are shaking your heads. To my embarrassment, it's the standard expectation for a banquet. I'm Somewhat kidding, but pretty serious, where uh, the spice up is a Caesar salad instead of the house, right? Uh, So I got to thinking, and I've been thinking about this for a while. And so I started pulling apart the pieces. Uh, What makes for a good party? The atmosphere, the people, the engagement, the music, the food, the stories, the celebration. The celebration. 
This was the word. Feasts during this time. Feasts always. When we think about feasts, uh, they're anything but dull, anything but boring, anything but dry chicken. They were flavorful. They were robust. Uh, They were raucous and full of energy. There was a buzz. There was an excitement. There were people. There were laughter. There were joy. Jesus, this morning, he opens up with this parable talking about a wedding banquet, a wedding feast. And my worry, if you are anything like me, your mind goes to all those banquets and it is banquet season, which may or may not be good or bad. But I don't want us to miss the invitation this morning. What is actually going on here? What is he saying? What is the starting line? It says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And if you're thinking boring, if you're thinking there's no chance I'm going there, just mail in my check. Oh, you're missing the point. You're missing what's going on here. You're missing the story. You're missing this. Now, in the midst of our dopamine-dripped culture, somehow this story, this story, this banquet, this feast, it's been paired back as something that's dull, as something that's bland, as something that is boring. But guys, the God of the universe and his pursuit of us is anything but boring. So, so if you'll bear with me, let's build the banquet or this party from the ground up. Something you don't want to miss. You ready? Can you imagine with me, it's your favorite season and your favorite place. Maybe it's fall in the mountains or maybe it's late spring at the beach. Your favorite people are there. The people that bring you life. The people that you love to be around. The people that you love. And you're being served your favorite food. Uh, Cooked to perfection. There is nothing dry, nothing chewy, nothing bland about this food full of tastes, full of flavors, right? The atmosphere is perfect. The music is perfect. Not too loud, not too soft, just right. Now, some of you guys have Sinatra playing in the back of your minds, and that's great. If you're young, that's not you. That's okay. But just know the music and the scene, the atmosphere, it is perfect and on point. The night is a celebration. It's entertaining. You laugh so hard that your stomach hurts. You lean in. The food The wine, the whole evening leaves you full, it leaves you satisfied, it leaves you filled up to the point where you don't want to leave. You want to stay in that place forever, in that moment, in that reality, where you just want to soak it in with this deep, full breath. Are you there? You are present to that moment, that reality, full and satisfied, Lewis writes in his 15th letter in Screwtape, the present is the point in which time touches eternity. That banquet, that thing that we hope for, it feels full, it feels content, it feels like this perfect wholeness, this perfection. Lewis goes on to say that we live in a time and a place, but God destines our hearts for eternity. And so every once in a while, we get this glimpse, this glimpse of this heavenly banquet, this feast, this party, glimpses of wholeness, glimpses of perfect love and perfect life, glimpses of beauty and intimacy, and we don't want to leave the table. That is our picture. God has put eternity in our hearts. Jesus talks about throwing a wedding banquet. 
a messianic banquet that he is throwing, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven, and he gives us a glimpse of what eternity is, and he wants us to keep that ever before us. When we think about life, when we think about everything, this glimpse of what that heavenly banquet is. All of this follows a string of parables, and they open up talking about this is what the kingdom of God is like, what we should desire, the kingdom that he longs for his people to live in, to pray for, to bring, and ultimately that he would bring. And he's laying out these parables. If you look here on chapter 21, he's laying them out in front of what it says the chief priests, the Pharisees, the religious elite, and the common people alike. Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. After his triumphant entry. And this parable follows uh, several parables. The parable that we looked at last night or last week. The parable of the tenants. You guys didn't miss anything last night. Last week. The parables of the tenants. The religious leaders, they're getting the point. Now check out what verse 45 says. They knew that Jesus was talking about them. And verse 46 says this. So they looked to arrest him. They looked to shut Jesus up. But they were afraid to do so because the people thought him a prophet. And so Jesus keeps teaching, driving home the point. And this week he turns to an image of a wedding banquet that the king has prepared. In a traditional Middle Eastern village, the host of a banquet, they would invite a group of friends, right? And this was kind of how this played out. On the basis of the number of yeses they got from their friends, they would know what kind of feast, what kind of food they were going to prepare. So they got all these invitations back. They said, hey, I'm coming to that banquet. And so what they would do is, uh, according to that number, they would prepare the banquet accordingly. And they would uh, go and kill those animals and kill the fowl, whatever it was they were going to prepare that day. And once the feast was ready, once the food was ready, and it was almost ready to be set on the table, they would send their servants around to all of those guests that said, hey, we're coming. They would go and say, the wedding feast is ready. The banquet is ready. It's time for you all to come. The food is on the table. You guys with me? This is the dinner bell. It's ringing the bell for their guests. The feast is ready. It's pretty straightforward, right? It's a pretty straightforward picture. Look, I've, I was trained like Pavlov's dogs here. When my parents and when my grandparents said the food was on the table, I came running. I know this. I get this. This is what I would have done. The banquet's ready. Food's on the table. I'm at the table. But in this scene, it's different. Verse 5 speaks of a different outcome than would have been expected. Imagine guests have arrived at your banquet, your feast. They're in your living room. They're sitting there. Food's ready. Feast prepared. Table set. You call them in and to your shock, they head for the door. Or worse. It says, one went off to their field, another to their business. Verse 6 says... The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Hey, let's pause here for a second and unpack this parable up to this point. As this would have been shocking to hear. This is no children's tale. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the people of Israel in its very heart. He's in Jerusalem, the religious leaders of that day. Israelites of Israelites, the people of God, uh, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Moses and the law, right? 
The people that were supposed to be a set-apart people, a blessing to the whole world, ancient Israel. God chose them, God cared for them, God nurtured them, blessed them so that they would be a blessing to the entire world. Moses, in Exodus 19, I want you to get this picture. After reminding them the story of God's selection and provision, God tells the people that he would make them, God would make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It reads, these are the words you're supposed to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses went back. He summoned the people and set the words before them, everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. And here's what the people said. They responded together. We will do everything the Lord said. We're going to do everything the Lord said. We're coming to that wedding banquet. And so Moses brought the answers back to the Lord. The people said, we will do everything the Lord has said. You with me? But, but here's the accusation. Over and over and over again, when you're flipping through the pages of the Old Testament, you see a people that ignored the invitation to the party. Not following through with their promises. Not not doing what they said they were going to do. Not keeping their fidelity to this God. They even took the servants and the prophets. Seizing them, mistreating them, killing them. If you were to turn a page over in your Bible, chapter 23 of Matthew. Jesus laments this in verses 37 and 38. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who killed the prophets, you stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate. I long to gather you under my wings. Come to my wedding feast. Come to this banquet. Yet you chose not to come. The picture, it sets an accusation. The king rang the dinner bell, but the guests have insulted the king and, as a matter of fact, killed the king's servants. So what do you think the king will do? He'll do what kings in kingdoms do when they are insulted and when there is injustice. The king will bring judgment and justice. This is what you see in verse 7. Then verse 8 picks up. And this is the part of the story that would have been interesting to the ears of those who were hearing, shocking even. The king said to his servants, the wedding banquet's ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. It says they were unworthy to come. So go to the street corners, invite the banquet to the banquet, anyone you find. The street corners. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. When the hearers would have heard that, they would have, wait, what? The bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was then filled with guests. The inclusion here was not only when you think about what happened in chapter 21, the tax collectors and the prostitutes that we heard about. The the inclusion here is also about the Gentiles, us God envisioned everyone here, all here. Verse 9 of our first reading today, it offered this invitation to all men and women. This was the Messianic banquet. This is what God had in mind. It hearkens us to this feast. It says this in Isaiah, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for all people. 
That's not a misprint. Not just for his people, but for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. This banquet that we're talking about earlier. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds the peoples. A sheet that covers all nations. He, God, will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove from the people disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This is the picture. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, we will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the great wedding feast. This is the scene that Jesus is talking about. And the wedding banquet, this picture, is intentional. It's a symbol of the consummation of all things when God's king, when his son, the bridegroom, Jesus, will be fully united, fully intimate with his people, his bride, the church. There are two things I want to remind us of here. First, uh, this banquet, this celebration, we want it, we long for it in, in the depths of who we are. This is the thing that we are looking for. And these people would have felt this invitation by the king would have been impossible to score. But the story, it paints a picture that would have shocked the hearers. The feast is thrown for who? For all peoples? Wait, we're invited? It's that moment that we've all been truly thirsting and hungering for. It's when all the pain, the suffering, the war, the famine, injustice, and death, they're all put to rights. When we look at the troubles of our hearts this morning and everything that we are carrying in here and everything that is happening on out there in this present time, it's, it, it's that banquet where the relationship to the king steadily pulls our hearts towards eternity and everything is made right and there's no more death, no more pain, no more tears. This is what he is talking about. It's the eternity that has been placed in our hearts and we get glimpses every once in a while on this side of the veil. It's the shadowlands that Lewis hearkens to. It's the hunger and thirst in our souls for more of God, more intimacy, more of that Trinitarian dance, more of that music that plays and draws deeply from our soul and pushes us towards eternity. It's grace upon grace. The invitation has been extended to all peoples, and the best of meats and the best of wines is waiting for us. This satisfies. This fills us to the point of wholeness. It's full. It's what we've been longing for. But verse 11, but when the king comes in and the king sees the guests, he noticed there was a man that was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how'd you get in here without wearing wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The man not dressed in wedding clothes, then what happens? He's thrown out into the darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. I want to pull back all the threads together here. We've been invited to this beautiful banquet, and it is the banquet that our souls have been longing for. 
eternity that has been placed in our hearts. We are invited into something thrown together, provided by the God of the universe. But the words clothed and chosen should ring loud in this final call. What does it mean to be without proper wedding clothes? What are proper wedding clothes? Is it a Friday night? Is it preppy casual? I mean, we live in Greenville, right? That's a thing. Is it a high noon wedding where we're wearing tails? Like, what, what are, what are, what's the dress code for this banquet? Because the invitation is in, it's extended to all. The banquet is prepared. But what are we going to wear? This is where the parable turns personal. What are we going to wear to the banquet? What are we going to put on so that we see that our invitation is validated, that we are chosen, that we are accepted? What are we going to put on? Shall we say to the king when the king comes around, hey, look, look who I am. Let me tell you about my family tree. Thanks to Ancestry.com, I can go back 17 generations. Let me tell you about the odds. We are basically royalty, so come on, let me in. That's not true, by the way. Let me tell you about my parents. Let me tell you about my grandparents. Let me tell you about my last name, my network. Let me tell you about my heritage. This is the story the people who heard this would have been saying. This people Jesus was talking to, they used this line in a different conversation with John the Baptist, and his prophetic response to them was this from Matthew 3. He said, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't think that's, that's your validation. I tell you that out of the stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This from Matthew 3. Neither Jew by birth or Christian by birth. And what I mean by this is in this cultural sense that that is, who we, that is our identity. We'll be spared the axe of judgment apart from repentance and faith. That's what's being said here. What are we going to wear? What are we going to wear? I'm going to work hard. There we go. I'm going to do good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to eat good. Isn't that good? It's good to be good. Paul, inciting and pointing to Isaiah 64, which says the righteousness that they seek is as good as a filthy rag, says this in Philippians 3. Our best efforts are rubbish. They're waste. They're trash. Our doing, our achieving, our good will never be good enough. No matter the effort, no matter the intention, God does not grade on a bell curve. We in our brokenness, we don't have the option to be good enough, holy enough, righteous enough. What are we going to wear? I don't have time to close all the back doors our clever minds and culture can pull together. I don't, have, I don't have time to, to, to pull these things together where we try to self-validate, where we try to self-justify that our invitations will be validated. All these doors, save for Christ, won't work. Who alone says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. No one goes to the king's banquet except through his son. 
Things that could be good like our charity and our service, they're good. Our generosity and our kindness, they're good. Our holiness and our godliness, they are good. But any garment that we try to put on except the blood of Jesus that we trust in will be a gradual, gentle, safe road to hell. So what are we going to wear? Paul in Galatians 3 says it this way. Helps us out. So in Christ, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Did you hear it? Let me say it one more time. This is exciting. In Christ. In being the key word there, it's a preposition. Uh, in, located inside of a specific place. What is that specific place? We are located in Christ. In Christ, you all are children of God through faith. In Christ, for all of you, you were baptized into Christ and you have clothed yourself with Christ Jesus our Lord. The blood of Jesus is on you if you are in Christ. When the God of the universe sees you, brother and sister, he sees Christ. When the king comes to you at this party, he sees his son who he delights in. He sees you clothed for the party and he bids you say, take your seat and feast with us, brother. The feast awaits. You've been clothed in Christ. We are invited. Once it was just the people of Abraham, then the invitation to the kingdom of heaven was extended to all peoples, this idea from Isaiah. And then at that place, there will be neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in. There's that word again. There's that preposition. We are found in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Heirs to the kingdom. Not something earned. Not because of our namesake. Not because of our parents. Not because of what we have done. But a grace and a gift received. This is the absurdity and the beauty of the cross. That God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. The worst of us, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the bad that are on the corner, the undeserving, that God would die for us. That the God of the universe would come and he would whisper in our ears that you are my beloved, that you are my son, that you are my daughter. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done for us and how he sees us clothed in Christ Jesus, you are my beloved. You are my cherished one. There's a feast that's waiting for you that not only will satisfy your body, it will satisfy your soul, it will satisfy your heart, it will satisfy your mind. This is the thing you've been looking for, the thing you've been waiting for. So what are we going to wear? Clothed in Christ. Now in this present where time and eternity kiss Fix your eyes on Jesus, our creator, our redeemer, our perfecter of our faith. It is in his righteousness that we have life and fullness. And a banquet awaits us. Friends, there is a banquet for the people of God. In the midst of our pain, 
in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hunger, in the midst of our thirst. There's a banquet. May we keep eternity before us so that just like the people envisioned here in Isaiah 9, we would say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in our salvation that he won and bore for his bride. Amen? Hey, final thought. If this word stirred something in you, we'd love to process that with you. Find us afterwards or find us during this week that God bids us come to his wedding banquet. Let's pray. God, you're throwing a party. And it's the thing our souls have been longing for and hoping for. A place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more war. A place where there is justice and peace. A place where we are known and loved. A place where there's fullness. A place where there's wholeness. A place where we don't want to push away from the table. We just want to sit there in your presence, in that intimacy, in that love, in that knowing that you look at us and you delight over us, that you sing over us. It's that place that burns deep in our soul. It's that eternity that you place. God, we long for that. We long for more of you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.